In this episode, I have the privilege of talking to a highly successful entrepreneur, powerful business owner, world-class speaker, best-selling author, amazing mother who constantly pushes the boundaries with her unwavering passion to challenge and inspire others to do the same. You may want to grab pen and paper and take notes as this episode is packed with so many tips and wisdom on what can help you to find who you are and teach yourself to trust yourself. What makes people successful and is not what you may think? Why should you avoid saying, I don't know? What is the single mom syndrome? How to climb out of a pit? How to shift our understanding of emotions to move through them with more grace and ease? She shares her morning routine, how to deal with stress. Why you should do things that make you happy every single day how to train your brain to work for you and not against you. There's so much packed in this episode, so grab your pen and paper. Are you ready? Let's go. Have you ever wondered what makes people capable of creating changes that impact their lives and the world around them? What is their way of thinking, their mentality, their patterns, their perceptions of the world, their reactions to different live events? What influences them? My name is Cristina Puyol, and I invite you to join me in this adventure where we will explore together the mind of change makers. Today, we have in our show a fearless female leader and a highly successful entrepreneur. She's a world-class speaker, best-selling author, and a powerful business owner. By creating an award-winning products that span the globe and launching initiatives that have inspired millions, her dedication to business has shifted the paradigm of the old stunt and stale into the new fiercely fun and fabulous feminine. She constantly pushes the boundaries with her unwavering passion to challenge and inspire others to do the same. I love that about her. She's the founder and CEO of the Ignite Platform, an empowerment media conglomerate that publishes books, manufactures products, and produces life-changing events. Her international best-selling compilation books have reached best-selling status in over 12 countries and feature authors spanning the globe, including me. Ignite is the leader in empowerment publishing, and she's committed to igniting a billion lives. She's at fault that I wrote this book or I participated in this book, as I must confess. So I'm really happy to have her in my show. She has so many things to tell us, and this is just a little summary of her whole bio. So let's welcome J.B. Owen. Thank you so much for being here with me. Uh, thank you for having me. And I'm so gracious to be here. I am very happy because you are a true change maker. And actually, the name of the show got inspired by the book that I co-author also with you. So I'm really honored that you're here. And I know that you've gone through so many changes in your life. So I would like to know a little bit, like, what can you share with us on how you got to here? And I know it's a long journey. Oh, it's a great question. Well, a lot of obstacles, a lot of hurdles, a lot of pitfalls, like many of us, anywhere along the journey of towards any kind of success, there has been some challenges along the way. And I've just been super blessed to be in a situation where I'm able to look back and share some of the challenges in story writing. I really believe that stories transform our lives. Yes. And for a long time, my story, you know, kept me a prisoner of my own experience and the fear of sharing what I was going through or the reality of my life was making me disconnected to my friends, not authentic at work, you know, really not shining my light. And so I was inspired 
by my own neediness to share my story and by my willingness to want to allow other people to share their story to really open up and be that vulnerable true self that I am. And that has inspired and empowered me in so many ways. Where do you come from? If you don't mind telling us. Yeah, sure. I mean, I have a typical story in the sense that I grew up in a small town and I really didn't fit in from a very young age. I was super creative, really loved fashion, was always into the big and loved the vision and always wanted to create something. And so, you know, right out of the gate, you know, some of my very first memories are just having my parents, you know, remind me that, you know, that's, that's silly, or you can't do that, or, you know, you're, you know, catch your mind out of the sky. And I started uh, really diving into fashion and being really um, crazy looking, you know, purple hair and blue lipstick and handcuffs on my boots and army fatigues and really, you know, not fitting into my small town and people would, you know, literally stare at me. And it was a very odd time, um, you know, in when I grew up in the 80s, that to look so different. And so I learned very quickly that I wasn't really accepted in my community. And it really made me want to leave. So 11 days after I graduated from high school, I moved to the big city. Wow. By yourself, I assume. Yeah, I just I decided that I wanted to be where fashion was. I wanted to be where movies were made. I wanted to be where business was happening. I wanted to be where theater was going on. And I just wanted to be not sticking out like a sore thumb amongst people who were, you know, ridiculing me and calling me names and stuff like that. And I think a lot of people can relate to that, to yes. that not fitting in, you know, it doesn't matter if it's the color of your skin or the lisp in your voice or the accent that you have, but there's this, this feeling like you just don't fit in and somewhere else is sort of where you belong. And it's interesting because now, you know, 30 years later, I'm back in this small town where I was born. My mom recently had a stroke. And so I've moved back to be mm -hmm close to her. And I find it very interesting that the same vibrational quietness and oddity is still here, although I'm a much different person, but it lends itself to like where you live and where you, where you thrive really it matters. And you have to be around people that understand you, accept you and encourage you. And you have to be in the vibration that fits best for you. And so that's kind of my number one tip about living your dream is really living in that area, living in the place that really really fires up your soul. I think big cities is a place that mixes a lot of people because it's a place where people can hide and show at the same time. You know, they can try to be who or, or discover who they are because they're not judged because there's so many people that nobody's really caring about the neighbor. So I think in that sense, the big city is, a, is a, like a melting pot of many things happening, but then a lot of people go back also. You, you, you need to find your tribe. Like even, you know, big cities are great because a, a lot of people, there'll be somebody who loves to play chess and there'll be somebody who loves to golf and there'll be people who love theater. And so in big cities, you find a variety of people, but even in small environments, like if you live, move to a fishing town where everybody loves to, you know, be outdoors, or you move to a mountain village where everybody loves to ski, you put yourself in an environment where the people around you value what you value. For quite a few years, I lived in a town that had a 90-mile lake and a beautiful um, temperature so that we had we had 180 wineries in the vicinity. Oh, wow. And there was a ski hill within an hour drive. And so everyone there lived to be on the lake in the summer or be at the ski hill in the winter. And everyone loved to, you know, be at the vineyards and hang out and, and you know, have a view of the lake. And so just the mentality of that town was that we work to play, we work to enjoy ourselves, we work to have the fun, we work hard so that we can go enjoy ourselves on the weekend. 
And so that kind of thing, I think is really important for your psyche and for your mindset and for your energy and to be around people who have the same values as you. So finding your tribe is like the number one. What happens when you don't know, you know, young people are like lost. They don't know what they want or who they are. And maybe they don't fit in their environment, but which environment do I go? Um, What tip would you give to younger people? I love to tell people, great question, to go on the exploration because a lot of us get stuck in, I don't know, and I'm not sure, and what should I do? The truth is no one's going to tell you. You're only going to know when you start figuring it out. And I had to go on those journeys. I had to decide, like, do I like living in Bali? I had to go to Bali and try it out. I had to decide, like, do I want to be a single mom? Do I want to be in the mummy group? Do I want to go to mummy playdates? Do I want to try this? Do I want to talk about moms? Do I want to talk about teaching? Do I want to talk about kids? Do I want to... So do I want to talk about women's empowerment? Like, you need to try things out. You need to try out sports. You need to try activities. Do I like the theater? Do I like drumming? Do I like chanting? Do I like meditation? It isn't until you try all those things because anybody can say, oh, I love meditating. You should go do that. But you don't like meditating. Or someone would say like, you know, I I love golf. I know a lot of people who don't like to golf. But when you try it and you give it your all and you immerse yourself in it, then you get to say, this is not for me or I love this. And that helps you find out who you are instead of listening to someone else, waiting for someone else, following someone else's ideas about who you should be. Create your own ideas about who you are. And the only way you're going to do that is through exploring them, trying them. Be courageous, be brave, do something you've never done before. Get to know it before you judge it. Mm -hmm. I actually used to think golf was terrible. I remember as a kid, my uncle watching golf on Saturdays and ignoring my aunts. And I thought it was terrible. And I thought golf was the worst thing until I actually played it. And then I realized (laughs) how fun it is. And now I watch golf on TV and I laugh at myself because I had such a judgment about it. Yeah. And it isn't until you try it that you can actually speak to it. You know, I, I was vegetarian all last year. I started to try it instead of criticize it. So to decide who you are requires you to put yourself in it and try it. And then you can say, yeah, not for me. Or, oh, I love that. But sitting around, not knowing, being in the not knowing, not, not looking for the answers is not going to get you anywhere. Yeah. Action, action. Just try experiment. I think that's a very good point. And it's funny because when you experiment, like you're saying, you become less judgmental. You may not like what you try, but you're not going to talk the same way about it because now you know how it is. At least you have an experience of that. So yeah, that's really great. And then- and be true to your conviction. Like if you don't like yeah. something or something isn't for you, be okay with that. Yeah. Be okay with saying like, you know what? It's, you know, my friend, one, one of my friends loves camping. <laughs> I've tried to go camping. I've gone camping with her. I'm like, I just don't like camping. Like I'm totally okay with it. I'm totally okay to say camping's not my thing. I just doesn't nothing about the bugs and the smoke and the fire. It's just not my thing. And that's yeah. okay. And when you have that conviction about your personal choices, then you can make those decisions in your business. You can make those decisions in your relationship. You can make those decisions in your career. You can make those decisions in your finances because you're learning and teaching and training yourself to trust yourself, to trust your instincts. I heard an incredible story today. Let me share with you. One of my very uh, amazing team members, her dad is going through 
Alzheimer's and he's forgetting everything, but it was recently his birthday and he he's forgotten mostly everything. He's even forgotten the names of, of his kids who came That's for his hard. birthday party, but he's always loved ice cream cakes his whole life. And when his son brought an ice cream cake for his birthday, he said, Oh, I've never had an ice cream cake before. And he had a bite of it. And my team member was telling me that he had the most incredible smile on his face, like a five-year-old smile, like his mm. eyes lit up, his face was gleaming. He was so excited. He absolutely loved it. <laughs> and ever since then, he's been talking about he wants another ice cream cake. What's fascinating about that for me on an intellectual level is he loved ice cream cakes his whole life. He's lost his memory. He had an ice cream cake. And again, he absolutely loves it. So what that lends me to know is that what you like is not conditioned in you. It's not told to you. He didn't like ice cream cakes because someone just brought it to him every birthday and he just forced himself to like it because not even knowing what is what it was, he remembered how much he loved it. And that made me realize that each and every time you love something, like you really love, you love wakeboarding, you love cross-stitch, you love doing knitting, you love writing. When you really really love it nobody has to condition you to enjoy it and if you think about if you lost your memory and then you woke up the next day and you love something so much it's in you it's inherently in you it's a part of who you are and so all the times that we talk ourselves out of something like I love peanut butter and I always talk myself out of it and now I'm <laughs> going to be like you know what I love peanut butter and I'm going to enjoy peanut butter because if I lost my memory and I ate peanut butter I was going <laughs> to still love it so love what you do and trust yourself like Trust your instincts, who you were designed to be, and know that that is, is who you are and go with that. Because a lot of us are like, oh, I'm really good at singing, but you know, I, I, it's, I can't have a career out of it. Or I love to play the guitar, but you know, that's silly. Don't do that to your dream and to your talents because they're in you. They're, you were born with them and they're a part of you and you can't talk yourself out of them. And so that's my little story about this. I just heard it today. I had to share that's it. Great. Yeah. No, and it's a good point that even though like there's a little bit of confusion sometimes that you have, if you have passion, you have to make it your profession, but really you can make it your, your hobby. You can enjoy it on the side. You can share it with people, you know, so you don't have to make it a profession. If you really love something, just do it, whatever version you can of it. If you cannot live of that for whatever reason, you know, then just, but enjoy it. Don't, don't not do it because you cannot make a profession out of it. Like singing. There's so many things you can do with singing, even if you're not the most famous singer and you're not earning money with it. That's very true. You got to foster your talents and the yeah. universe always pays you off. Like even when you think about monetizing, like people think that I can't make a career from singing. You can always make, people will always reimburse you if that's the right word, or you will always benefit from doing what you love. And if you can't make a living off of it, I mean, really, the truth is we even have to look at that state, statement, like make a living off of it. If you really love something, do that and the universe will reward you in so many ways, so, so many powerful ways. And, you know, monetization isn't always the answer. And we, we can talk about that a little bit. I mean, people always feel like they have to monetize their gifts. I love yoga and my mom has been bothering me for years to become a yoga teacher. And I said, look, I love yoga as a participant. I enjoy doing yoga. I don't want to teach it. I want to enjoy it. I want to be a student of it. I want to be, I want it to be a part of my life. I don't want to be a teacher of it. Now, lots of people love to teach yoga, but for me, I just like to be a student. I don't need to monetize off of something that I really love. So yeah. it's really about trusting yourself and understanding like where are your boundaries? What are your parameters? What's important to you? 
and trusting that in a way that like, I'm ready, I'm prepared to say, I love yoga, but I'm not going to teach it. Or I love singing and I'm just going to do it. You got to make the conviction for yourself. And you know, you and I were talking earlier, like what makes people successful is when people are convicted. They're convicted in what they love. They have a conviction behind what is important to them. It's, it's really important what you're saying. And I think even when you don't know what you want, it's a process. Like you learn with it, you, you experiment and then you decide and then you learn, okay, I, I'm, this is fear for me. This is not fear because you also have to distinguish when you don't try something, whether it's fear or it's not liking. Because usually, for example, in dancing, I see the students when they start, they don't like it because they don't know it. They, they, they're not good at it. When you're not good at something, you don't like it, you know? So you have to try it, experiment, at least to give yourself a chance to see what you like and what you don't like and to recognize when fear is stopping you from trying and doing something, so. You know, there, I feel like there's a lot of detriment in our society when we say, I don't know. Like, I don't know. We've learned to say, I don't know because it gets us off the hook. But what we're really telling the universe is we don't want to know. Because when you say, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I should do. I don't know what my life is all about. I don't know what my calling is. I don't know what my purpose is. What you're really saying is, I don't want to know. And so the universe is not going to give you the answer when you keep saying, I don't know, because the truth is, is I don't know right now, or I don't know just yet, or I don't know exactly, but I'm willing to find out, but I'm interested to figure it out. And I want to, and I want to find out the answer. So when we all, when we say we don't know, what we're doing is we're just, we're kind of paralyzing ourselves and we're not allowing anything to come in. So I always encourage people to say like, I'm learning, I'm figuring it out. I'm on my way to finding out, you know, I'm about to discover, like give yourself what I call a posidium, turn it into a posidium so that the universe feels the flow and the energetic movement to allow it to come to you. Yeah. Good point. And what has been a a big uh, obstacle or change that you have to overcome? Wow. Good question. Well, for, uh, a long time I, I called, I was in what I call single mom syndrome because I did uh, divorce my kid's father. And when I was divorced and I was a single mom, a lot of people said to me like, well, you're a single mom now, now you can't do that. And you're a single mom and that's not, you know, possible. Well, when you're a single mom, you, you need to focus and you need to think about these things. And even went so far as, you know, the schools and, um, different agencies would say, well, if you don't make a lot of money as a single mom, you know, you can get subsidy. And if you don't, you know, if you're a single mom and you don't have this, you can get this. And if you have low amount of income as a single mom, you know, we can help you. And so it kind of taught me to be small and think less and make less money and be incapable because I needed help. And I call it the single mom syndrome because the the system kind of puts moms in single moms in that situation. Like if you don't make a lot of money, we'll help you with daycare. If you're struggling, you know, and you don't uh, have a lot of income, you know, we'll help pay for your kids uh, athletic equipment. That's how it is in Canada. And for like two years, I was like, oh, I better not make a lot of money because I need subsidy for the for my childcare. And oh, I better not, you know, make too much money because, you know, they're helping pay for my son's hockey equipment. And it was a really backwards way to think. It was a really disempowering way to feel because I felt like I had to be less to get 
things for free. When one day I just realized like, why don't I just be the best version of myself? Why don't I just go for the gold, go for the gusto, go for whatever I need to go for. And if I have to pay for my kid's hockey equipment by myself, I'm going to figure it out. Like I'm going to buy secondhand or he's going to have to use what he wore last year, but I'm going to not, not make money just so I can get free hockey equipment, or I'm going to not, not make money just so I can get my childcare after school childcare at half price. Because when I looked at it, like, let's say his hockey equipment was about $550 every year. So I was not making X amount of thousands just so I could get 550. And that to me was ridiculous when I really thought about it. But I was conditioned to believe that I was a single mom. I had to be cautious. I had to be careful. I had to take the savings. And it really kept me down for a long time. I, I want to share that single moms are one of the most powerful individuals on the planet. I mean, yeah. I joke around that a woman would carry her 60 pound child 10 miles if she had to, whereas a man would not carry 60 pound potato sack half a block. I mean, women will do anything really for the, for the sake of their children and at the same point for the sake of the survival of their family. And so we need to empower, empower, inspire, give them tools, give them opportunities, give them advancements in the way that they can take themselves forward because they're this incredible example for their kids. They're teaching their kids by example. And so I would say that was one of the big things I really need to shift my thinking in. When may you do that shift? If you can go back to the moments that that happened, when may you make that shift? Yeah, I remember it very succinctly. I was driving to the community center because they had um, an opportunity that because my income was low, they were going to subsidize my kids to go to the community center that had the swimming pool and, and all of the sports equipment. And I remember going there feeling like I needed, like feeling small and feeling like I needed to go in. I needed to explain my situation. I needed to be poor. I needed to be destitute. My poor life, my awful situation. I'm a single mom. I'm, I'm, I'm divorced. I have two kids. I live alone. And it was like, what? <laughs> Like, what is bad about all? I am a mom of two amazing kids. I live by myself. Lots of people live by themselves. I have a job. It's fantastic. My kids are amazing. I am divorced due to a relationship that didn't work out. Like, I was realizing, like, there's, I'm not going to be like that. Like, those things are not a failure. Those things are not a travesty. Those things do not label me. And I was like, there are so many millions of people who are divorced. There are so many millions of people who live alone. There are so many millions of people who work in the job that I work in. Like, why am I going to feel low and terrible about myself and go in and explain to this lady? to, you know, feel so bad about myself just so I can get, instead of paying $60 a month, I can only pay $20 a month. So my kids can go swimming every month. I was like, I'm just going to make $60 and feel good about myself. That's great. You know, actually one of the guests that I have in another episode, uh, she's one of the top hundred executives in the company buyer, the pharmaceutical. And she was saying that when she was looking for um, employing some people, she employed a single mom because she said, if she can handle that, she can handle many things, you know, and if she can handle a family where she's the only one, I mean, she's the best employee that I can have. So she, she hired her when she was in Mexico for two years. Said, That's the best employee you can have because those women are amazing. So it's fun. Yeah, and I just, thank you for sharing. Like, I just decided, like, I don't want to feel lousy about myself. Like, I don't want to feel terrible and I don't want my past to define my future. And I will really, really say this is one of my favorite new quotes. Your past does not define you. It refines you. 
and my past, you know, ending my marriage and being a single mom did not define me. That was not going to be who I was forever. And there's nothing wrong with being a single mom. It's not a failure. It's not, it's nothing to be ashamed of. And it does not define me because the new version of me, the next iteration of me, the next possibilities of me was what was I going to do with my kids next? And so I just stepped out of that, that scenario got a great job, started working, making money, projectiled myself to success because I wasn't going to let my past define me anymore. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that story. I think that's going to inspire a lot of people. And if you are a single woman right now, like imagine going back, what would have helped you at that moment? What would be a thing that will accelerate that? Well, I didn't tell you all of the story. So, uh, so after I left my kid's dad, I did get involved with uh, someone who was very, very destructive and unhealthy for me. And I, it was a rebound relationship. And that person was, you know, um, a recovering alcoholic. And they really took me um, through the gamut, you know, re rehab and recovery and theft and assault and robbery and terrible, terrible, terrible things. So I was down as low as I could go because this person who I thought I could help and I thought was supposed to be the, you know, the, the next best relationship really pulled me down in a lot of ways. Now, the interesting thing is, and I talk a lot about this when I do keynotes, is that when you're in the pit of the despair of the, you know, of the, the trenches of your life, there comes a time when you are, you start climbing out of the pit. Like you're like, I'm done sitting in that spot. I, I use an example. My son, my son was in hockey and he got, he didn't like the coach's call. He got really upset. He decided he was going to quit hockey. So he comes out of the change room. He's like, I'm quitting hockey. I'm not doing hockey anymore. And I'm like, okay, great. So we come home. And he's like, I'm not going to hockey practice tomorrow. I said, great. You need to sit in the quit. Go and be a hundred percent in everything it feels like to quit, to quit hockey. What does it feel like to quit? Be in that, feel that, look at your future at 100%. I want you to absolutely quit. And of course the next day he's like, mom, I need to get ready for hockey because <laughs> I said to him like, quit, be in the quit, like totally immerse yourself in the quit. So when we're in the pit <laughs> and we're totally immersed in the pit, and you absolutely feel everything it is about that, there will come a moment, no doubt, because what happens is we're like, it's not so bad. I can handle it. I can do it. But there is that moment where you say like, this is so much not where I want to be that I will do everything to climb out of this place. And the magic of that is when you start to climb out of the pit, you get onto the surface, you start moving forward, you start rebuilding your life, you start rebuilding your friendships, you start finding a new version of yourself. And eventually one day you get so far away from the pit that you cross the line past into what's possible for you. It's like, I think of it like a tether, like there's the pit and then there's your destiny. There's, you know, the greatness in you. And there comes a point where you cross the line where you're closer to your destiny than you are to the pit. And when you can decide, like, I every single day, I'm going to work towards getting to that line where I'm closer to my dreams than I am closer to my, to the, my disaster, that is magical. And I think that's the place where I came to, like, I crawled out of the pit, 
I moved forward enough. I licked my wounds. I got myself back up. I got some personal development, took some motivational training, started getting around people that were supporting me, started reading books, started going to courses, started trying new things to heal myself and recover and find the new version of me, not the old version, but the new version. And then one day I got closer to my dream than I was to my disaster. I hope that makes sense. Yes, yes. And it's beautiful because you explain that it's a process, that it's not like a switch. It's a process and that it takes time and that at the end you look back and you may not recognize or you may see completely different. Like, what was I doing there, <laughs> you know, in that pit? But that was your growth also, part of, of who you are now. And the fact that you had to, that you got support from people, from books, from courses, from just anything that you can get. I'm always looking for like shortcuts. How can, how can we, because sometimes you have to get into the pit, you know, that's, that's your growth and that's your learning and that's your choice in this life. But I always look for, for cuts. Like how can we not all fall in the pit and help people maybe to avoid that pit? Maybe there's another pit in front, but maybe to avoid a pit. So do you, would you think there's anything that not to change your life? Cause that has made you the wonderful and amazing woman that you are now. But what could have maybe speed the process or make it different? Great question. I think it has a lot to do with a little bit of humility. I mean, I look back to who I was then and there was some naivety and there was some ego and there was just some lack of understanding about that situation or even how far I had come. I mean, I was very fortunate uh, after I, you know, I worked in the film business for 15 years um, my first husband was fantastic. We, we made a lot of money. We had beautiful kids. We have a beautiful home. We had a beautiful business. And, you know, I sometimes say I entrepreneured myself right out of a marriage because we let the, mar the business take over the marriage and break up the marriage. I wasn't smart enough and humble enough in the difficulties in our relationship to fix that. So went on to be, you know, a single mom, went on to get into another bad relationship that I wasn't humble enough and secure enough to realize that I could do it differently. So I think humility plays a lot, a big part in it, because for many of us, we're pushing forward to get the next thing instead of pausing to say, what could I have done differently? What could I have learned? I do this with my kids, you know, they, they fail the test at school and I'll say, well, what could you have done differently? Or they, you know, say, something happens between their friends and they're, you know, there's their, one of their friends isn't talking to them. So I say like, well, what could you have done differently? And I ask them and, and want them to reflect on what they could have done differently. And I think that happens to us as adults. We forget. It's like, well, I should have known better. I, they, they should have listened to me. You know, that's not the way life is. That's not fair. Like we get into all of the rights and the wrongs instead of stopping to say, how could I have done it differently? What is, what is my learning in all of this? So I had to get really humble. I had to get really, really humble. And I'll share with your listeners that when something comes up that is a challenge for you, instead of pushing, pushing for your way, pushing to get it done, pushing to make sure that it happens exactly the way you, you think it should, or even pushing people away, pushing people out of your life, pushing a deal away, you know, pushing an opportunity away, to just stop for a moment and get humble in the sense of what can I learn from this situation? How can I do this better? How can I have it so it's a win-win for everyone? How can I create a scenario so that everybody here walks away, you know, feeling grace and integrity? It does take a moment of pause because we as human beings get worked up. You know, we go into alpha, alpha syndrome, you know, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make this happen. I want this my way. 
if we pause for a moment and just say, hmm, what am I supposed to learn from this? How can I do this better? How can I make it so everybody wins? And take a pause, take a pause away, take a few days away, take a week away, take, put yourself in a situation where you can reflect instead of react. And I think we do that a lot. That reactionary piece gets us in trouble. Isn't, isn't the last book that you're bringing out something with a pause, right? Yeah. So we just published a fantastic book by another Ignite author. It is called The Power in the Pause. Yes. And uh, she published this book. It's a fantastic book. And it is really about the pause, like pausing to ask for answers, pausing to see it from another perspective. I always tell people, well, what's the 360 degree on that? And we, I say this a lot to my team. I say this a lot to my kids. I say this to my husband, like they'll, well, a situation will come up and it's like us and them, something like that. Right. And I'll be like, okay, what's the 360 on this? Like, what is the side view? What is the overview? What is their side of the story? How do they see it? What is, what is it? If we were looking at the two of us, what would that look like? And so when you say to yourself, like, what's the 360 degree viewpoint on this, it actually makes you think about What do other people see in this situation? What does it look like from God's perspective? What does it look like from a business perspective? What does it look like from, you know, the other people who are involved, the people behind me? It's not to get caught up in what other people think. It's actually to ask yourself, what are the other things about this situation that I need to look at instead of just what I think it should be? And when you ask yourself, like, what's the 360 degree view on this? You open yourself to be curious about, well, how could it? be different? How could it look different? And I think life is about being curious. We all have the human instincts of, of all kinds of things, reaction, you know, self-righteousness, insecurity. Like I, I always say that we're, when we come to earth, we're, we're born with a list of all the human emotions pinned to our birthday suit. And the truth is, I feel it's my little idea that every single one of us are supposed to feel exactly every one of those emotions on that list. We're supposed to feel betrayal. We're supposed to feel contentment. We're supposed to feel anger, frustration, happiness, joy, glee. Every single human emotion is on a piece of paper, on a list, pinned to our birthday suit, and we're meant to feel each and every single one of them. The interesting thing, though, is if you can reflect and see the 360-degree view of this is delightfulness, this is betrayal, this is, you know, somebody potential, this is what it feels like to be, you know, left abandonment, this is what it feels like to be chosen, this is what it feels like to have success, this is what it feels like to be confused. If you now shift that emotion to part of the process of being a human, It allows you to see it so differently than it's being done to you or it's being done to hurt you. A lot of good points. <laughs> I'm going to start taking notes so that people <laughs> remember all of this. No, but one thing is important, like you did with your kid of, of experimenting the quit. I love that. Together with the 360 is like the way to put yourself in everybody's shoes in the situation and then really experiment in that situation so that if you make a choice, you know, you can see all the all the options and all the situations and then from there take a better decision and and I also like this thing with having all the emotions pin <laughs> and I think it's important to see it that way because some people get attached to certain emotions as they are themselves oh I am I'm, I'm, I'm depressed I am I am I am no you're not you know you're experiencing something but that's not you that's not only you you are everything and I think it's important to see it as something that you pin on the side not your identity you know that's something different and that goes with all the emotions and you choose the ones that you want to feel so that's that's a very beautiful example great thank you yeah. so much 
and it's fun because you're kind of like, I, like I do this, I'll be like, okay, here comes, you know, disappointment. All right, what's that going to look like? And then I just like, and I assign it as an experience instead of like, it's, uh, you know, it's it doesn't define me. It's like, this is what disappointment feels like. This is what di- disappointment looks like. I'm going to sit in disappointment. How long do I want to feel disappointed? Uh, okay, I'm done. Let's move on. I felt that feeling. Thank you. What's next? <laughs> <laughs> And I love the timing. I also had someone say that. And I do that a lot. It's like, okay, how many, how many hours? Or I can even give me a couple of days of feeling this. And then, okay, now we need to do something about it. I cannot stay here for so long. So, And it makes it look different. So you don't get stuck to that emotion, but you just know that you're feeling it and it's temporary and it will go away, you know, and you kind of decide in a way when. And for all the people who are like, I'm always disappointed or I'm always frustrated. It's like, well, you always, you just always choose to keep checking that one off your list. Like exactly. I'm always frustrated. It's like, okay, well, you're, if you imagine 10 check marks beside frustrated, what if you decided you wanted to move down the list to delightful or move down the list to impress? Like you, it's just you who ha- chooses that that's always the emotion that you're experiencing. The interesting thing is when you think you have a list of every emotion possible, I tell people, what is the one emotion on the list that you absolutely want to feel? And as soon as you ask them that, then they're like, well, delightful, or I want to feel exuberant, or I want to feel wealthy. Even wealthy comes up a lot. People say, well, I want to feel rich. And I'll be like, okay, well, what does that feeling feel like? Let's feel that. Let's feel rich. Go out. Let's feel rich. Let's let's go do something. What do rich people feel like? What does rich feel like to you? Does rich feel like laying in a, your sun chair in the back of your house with a martini beside you? Does rich feel like having a bath with the most luxurious bath bomb? Like, what does rich feel like to you? It's not numbers on a page. Mm-hmm. Rich is not numbers on a bank statement. And people get really caught up in what does rich feel like because they're looking at the numbers. I say to people, well, what does rich feel like? I joke around because I drink my morning shake in a wine glass because it feels rich and glorious and glamorous, right? You just have to decide what feelings you want to have. That's super nice. And JB, can you share a little bit with us, like, how do you get so much done? How do you accomplish so much? What's like your morning routine or your, or how do you organize it so that you can get so much done? Well, I like to get up at four. So I'm up at four because I have three kids and they're up at seven. And so between four and seven, that's my time. I get to do all the things that are important to me. So that may mean reading. That might look like meditating. That might just look like, you know, spending time with myself. It might be my writing time. Uh, I might be checking emails at that time. I usually like to use that morning time to just be with myself and give myself some quality time. And then I take the time for my kids to go to school and be with them. And then after that, I love to do my exercise. I love to do some time, you know, just exerting my body, getting the energy flowing, getting the blood moving, if it's music or dancing or running. But I really want the morning to be about the things that are important to me because the minute I step into work or office or tasks, then I'm wrapped up in that. And so I love to have my mornings be a cherished time for me to do the things that are most important to me. If I spent in that morning, I usually do have an hour to to connect with the team. And if I get to that hour to connect with the team and and do the list of things that have to get done and nothing else happens that day, the day ran away. I got my workout in, I got my meditation in, I read my books. I spent some time with the kids. I exercised, I connected with the team. If the rest of the day goes crazy, I still got a lot done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's super important. And I think we, we, we emphasize that a lot, that the morning routine to have that time is super important because you feel like you control the day. 
you did something for you, for, for your whatever goals you have, whatever idea is your life, it's, it's important that you start like that. But it's very early. <laughs> it's true. And so the next tip I have for you is to always do something every day that makes you happy. So before I get out of bed in the mornings, while I'm still in that sleepy state where I'm starting to wake up, I ask myself, what's going to make me happy today? I really, really ask that question right down to my soul. And I wait for the answer. And lots of times it's like this morning, it was to go outside for a bike ride. We have just in this last two days, the snow has melted after seven months of oh snow. God. Seven months of snow in the last two days, the snow has melted. It's gray and brown and there's gravel all over the roads from the snow machines, but it's, it's, it's above zero. And so I woke up this morning and what's going to make me happy today is go for a bike ride. Now that means that I have to structure my day and no matter what else happens today, I need to make time to go for that bike ride, even if it's for 30 minutes. The reason I do that is because I'm teaching myself that I matter and that I'll be my word to myself. If you are not your word to yourself, you will never be your word to your partner or your business partner. So you must be your word to yourself first. That's why every morning I ask myself, what's going to make me happy today? Now, if it me, if I said, well, what's going to make me happy today is go to Paris. Well, that's not going to happen, but I could do some research about Paris. I could start a Paris uh, money, you know, travel jar. I could look at flights to Paris. I could do a virtual walk through Paris, like something that at least lends itself to my goal. But what I like to do is I like to pick tangible goals that I can do that day and then I do them. So if it makes me happy day, go to yoga. I structure my day so I get to yoga. If it's going to make me happy today to just be outside, then I make sure that happens. It made me happy today to finish my email landing page, then I make sure I get that done. I pick one thing that I make sure I can get done that day. I commit to it. I make sure I do it. I be my word to myself. And then I feel the reward from it. I feel the reward from committing to one thing because so many of us have 10 things on our list. And then yeah. we get overwhelmed. We get bombarded. We do none of them. We move the needle in a few of them. Nothing has the sense of accomplishment. So what I love to do is pick the one most important thing for me to do today. I make sure I get that done. If all else fails, that got done. And then I feel a sense of success and I'm my word to myself. So that is one of the key things I love to do to accomplish things is because I pick something that I'm going to do that day. And that's the thing that I'm not going to, I'm not going to compromise. I might compromise on something else, but I'm not going to compromise on what makes me happy. Now, over time, you teach yourself that I only do what makes me happy. So when people ask me to do stuff, I don't say yes. I'm only doing your podcast because it really makes me happy. If somebody else asked me to do something and it didn't make me happy, I would say no, because I've now structured myself and conditioned myself that I only do what makes me happy. And I put those things into my day. So it's a process that you can easily start doing. It's going to make me happy today to have a bath and, and have a nice long bath and quiet time with myself. It's going to make me happy today to go for a walk. It's going to make me happy today to get my project done that I, I've committed to. And, and here's what I'm going to do. Those are the important pieces that you need to start teaching your brain that you will do and you will commit to and you will follow through on. And then you will gain the confidence to do the next thing. You'll gain the value. You'll trust yourself. You'll believe in yourself. You'll keep rewarding yourself and that will get you out of whatever rut you are in now for there is people that listen to these and they say yeah yeah but that's because she's successful so then she has people helping so she's only doing the things that she wants to do and there's other this all these things that i have to do that you know and i you know i know it's an attitude but what would you say to the people 
that have to do a lot of things that they don't want to do or they say they don't want to do. Because what I will share is it's even things for yourself. Like I, you know, what made me happy is to get a haircut, but I have not got a haircut for like three months. And every single day I wake up and be like, I need to get a haircut. It would make me happy if I got a haircut. And I don't do it because of COVID, because of time, because of this, because of that. And that attitude of not doing those things that are important to me as a person Start with that. It has nothing to do with my team. It has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with anything. I'm just procrastinating, not taking the time. I'm not getting a haircut. But the problem that I'm creating is I'm not showing myself that I value me. I'm not making me more important than what? What's more, what is more important than for the fact, like what is more important than something that's going to make me happy? Is it more important to take out the garbage? Is it more important to go on Facebook? Is it more important to listen to a friend complain on the phone? So you can take it to the extreme. Absolutely. You can say she's successful. She only does what makes her happy, but it doesn't necessarily mean that being successful only does what makes you happy. You do the things that make you happy so that you honor yourself. Now, I'm not saying don't do what you have to do to survive. And I'm not saying don't do what you have to do to pay your bills. What I'm saying is find something that makes you happy because a lot of us wake up and what's the first thing we think I got to do this and I got to do this today yeah. and I have to do this and I have to do that. And what have we done? We've completely set our brain up for, for frustration and anger and disappointment. I do this exercise with my kids. It's really powerful with kids. They wake up in the morning and I'll say, what's going to make you happy today? And they're, they're beautiful. They'll say fun things like, Oh, I want to get an A on my test. Oh, I want to um, play with my friend on the playground and, and make a basket. My, my daughter was telling me, I want to do a flip on the monkey bars. So I'm like, okay, what are you going to do to make that happen? How is it you going to do? How are you going to make that happen? And so I'll ask her. So she starts thinking, well, I'm going to go to the monkey bars. I'm going to, I've got these fun gloves that I'm going to take with me so I can be slippery. I've going to, I've been practicing. So she's starting now to use her brain to think of a strategy to make herself happy. What I love about doing this exercise with kids is they're so docile now to just look at the screen and let the screen make me happy. Mm. Instead, you teach them like to think of themselves. What's going to make me happy? It's going to make me happy to go after school to the library. It's going to make me happy. My daughter wanted to go to the mall on the bus with her friend after school. That was going to make her happy. Okay, what do you have to do to do that? What is the time? How much is the bus? What time will we be home? Who's going to check with you? Can you call in? Like now she starts putting the daisy chain together of all the things that she has to do to make herself happy. So now she's teaching herself I have the power to make myself happy. I have the ability to think through what's going to make me happy. So I'm going to say the same thing to adults. When I wake up in the morning and say, I want to go to yoga today, that's going to make me happy. I structure my day. I organize my events. I figure out how I'm responsible for making myself happy. That to me is the value in this exercise. It's not about being spoiled and privileged enough to go to yoga. If making happy is just having a cooking a great dinner, you teach yourself that you daisy chain all the things you need to do because you are in charge of you. You are the master of your life. You dictate your happiness. You don't wait for happiness just to happen. If you want a really great dinner, you don't just sit there and say like, I just want it to show up. You're like, I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to get a great piece of salmon. I'm going to get some fresh vegetables. I'm going to come home. I'm going to put on some music and I'm going to make myself a great dinner. Now you're in charge of that. And that makes you in charge of your life. And that makes you in charge of everything. And you now know you can manifest your own happiness. Yeah. Extreme responsibility of everything that happens around you. Yeah. In your life. And, and how do you deal with stress? 
That's a great question. So stress is, you know, a big thing in any entrepreneur's life and anyone who has, you know, a team or is doing things on any level, ultimately stress does uh, take a factor. For me, what I realize is that I need to get connected to God every morning. I need to, you know, sit down and just ask him for guidance. And I'll teach you a little thing that happened to me about a month ago. I was doing my morning prayers and doing my meditation. And the first thing I said was, God, please give me strength. And for the first time in 50 years, I heard him say, why are you asking for strength? And I realized that when you ask for something like strength, you need something to be strong to show that you have strength. If God gives me strength, then I need to have something in my life happen to prove that I have strength, like a catastrophe or a disaster or a drama so that I can be strong. And what I realized yeah. is like, why am I asking for strength? Like, why don't I ask for glee or bliss or opulence or love? Because when you ask for perseverance or you ask for patience, like we started talking about this on one of my podcasts, one of the people said, I ask God every day for patience. And I was like, yeah, so you're asking for patience. So God has to give you experiences in your life to be patient for. Yeah. Oh, you already have so many. And he's not going to take them away. <laughs> right. One of the women asked for um, self-acceptance. And it's interesting because she's one of those people that always has challenges come up against her about where she has to be self-accepting. And I said, you know, we actually have to be really careful what we ask for because yeah. I've been asking for strength, which has constantly made situations appear in my life that I have to show strength for. And so I really learned quite quickly, like when you're stressed out, ask for what you really want. Like, instead of like, I'm stressed out and I just, I, you know, I say, I need a break. And I stopped saying that because I was like, I'm not going to ask for, I need a break because what does a break mean? Like my car breaks down, my computer breaks down. My computer just broke down two weeks ago. I had to go buy a new computer. Like it literally just broke. No one knows what's wrong with it, but I've been tired and I've been saying, Oh, I need a break. I need a break. I need a break. And now I'm like, Bleh! I don't need a break. I need ease. I need flow. I need comfort. I need people to help me. I need new opportunities. Like I have completely changed my languaging because what I realize is that you get exactly what you say. You get exactly <laughs> what you ask for. And if you say, I need a break, like just be careful what's going to break around you. <laughs> It's funny because just yesterday I was going to have an interview with someone and I told my husband, this is a very old friend. I haven't talked to her in 30 years. I want to have time to talk with her and just have a conversation was I call her and she's like you know I cannot talk because I have they just put me on a meeting for work we can just have a conversation <laughs> my husband you got it <laughs> they're listening to you <laughs> you just have said the conversation and the interview you know? <laughs> yeah, right. we really have to be careful with what we say you know when I was um when I was getting divorced I was it took me about two years to go through my divorce and I used to say I'm so sick and tired of this I'm so sick and tired I'm just sick and tired that this is happening and guess what happened I got sick and sick. tired I got <laughs> sick with the disease with the disease that made me tired I had like low ferritin and I had a really really like uh, you know a, a situation I had got mercury poisoning guess what happened I was extremely oh, wow. tired yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You have to be super careful with the words that we use because the universe is absolutely listening. And so when you're stressed, really the key is to, I, you know, light answers come to me with ease and grace, you know, situations are now in flow. Like you just need to continually say those sorts of things. And on a very logistical level, don't be so hard on yourself. 
put three things on your list a day instead of 15. We, we, I don't know what it is about humans. We're like, I got a list. It's this long. Like we're, we have some kind of pride over our list. Why do we do that to ourselves? Because then this long list, there's no way we're going to get it done. And so we have this sense of failure. We have this sense of disappointment. So just put three things on your list and do one thing that makes you happy and you will, stress will sort of ease, manage yourself so that you have logical time to complete things. Take the most important thing you need to do today and get that done. Just think about tomorrow, think about next, what, what needs to be done in the next 48 hours, just do that. Just do that. I, I even do that with my team. Like my team will look at you know all the things we have to do for a week or a month or a year, and I'll be like, let's just do what we need to do today for tomorrow, and let's just get that one thing done. And then every day, you feel like a reward. You feel like an accomplishment. You feel like a success because you got the one thing done that you wanted to get done that day. And I think the brain likes simple. If you give it one thing, it will really help you to get that one thing. If you give it 20, it's just going to be dispersed and you're not going to know which one to do first. And you're going to feel like you didn't do anything. Even though if you did 10 instead of one, you're still going to feel like you didn't do them. Right. And the brain, you know, the brain is an interesting organ because I always tell people the heart is its job is to pump blood. You know, the lungs, the job is to filter air. The brain, its job is to sort out problems. The brain's job is to figure out the solution to problems. And so if you give the brain 15 things to do, its job is to figure out the problems. And so I often say to my brain, okay, this is not a problem. We just want to, this is a solution. So I teach my brain, which is an organism designed to take the millions of data input that it has and solve a problem. I tell my brain, let's find the solution. What's the solution? What, where's the solution here? What is the solution here? Like I continually train my brain for the solution because the brain is designed to find the problem, solve the problem, create. If it can't solve the problem, it'll create a problem. Yeah. It's that powerful. Yeah. It's I want to solve a problem. My job is to solve problems. Oh, there's not a problem here. I'll cause a problem <laughs> so it can solve it. Yeah. That's so you need to train it. What is the solution here? Hey brain, where's the solution? Hey brain, what's the solution to this formula? Hey brain, what's the solution to this? What's the solution? What's the solution? And then it starts working for you. It's very powerful. It's yes. silly and simple, but super powerful. I totally agree with you. I think by some people are like, but you're talking to your brain. That's, that's you. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's really great. Well, thank you so much. I want to be respectful of your time because I know you have other meetings coming afterwards. Um, but it's been amazing. There's so much stuff. I hope everybody's taking notes of everything that JV has shared. She has so much knowledge. And now you have an empire with all these Ignite books that I'm very happy to be part of and have. Um, and I know there's more coming out. So we will put all your information on the notes of the episode so they can contact you and find you. But thank you so much, JB, for being here with me. Thank you. I'll just say one final thing. You know, each and all, every one of us has a story. We all have a past. We all have a story. We all have something that we're ashamed of or, you know, has riddled us with sadness or grief or, you know, it's kind of been our, you know, our bear, our cross to bear for a long time. Those stories are the magic in each and every one of us. And when you can tell your story or write your story or share your story, you truly transform your life instead of hiding it or being embarrassed of it or trying to think that it's not a part of you any longer because you don't want anyone to know 
it empowers you. I've shared with you that I was in a bad relationship. I shared with you that I have been divorced more than once. I've shared with you some of my difficulties. My hope is that it's made you feel closer and more connected to me than if I just would have showed up and been like, well, I did this and I did this and my business does that and we do this and this is what are da da da. Sharing your story frees you. It empowers yes. you. It inspires you. It invigorates you. And so take a little bit of time each and every day to share your story with the people you care about. Start writing your story, journal your story, get comfortable realizing that your story is part of your magic. That's what makes you so powerful and see that 360 degree viewpoint of even your story of how it could be different. And it was given to you to empower you and have you move forward in your life so that you can teach and tell others how they can move forward in their lives. And when you bring it up, it also changes you at the same time. Yeah. Mm, it heals you. So you. Much. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Thank, Thank you, you so darling. Much. So Thank grateful you. for you sharing your treasure. You really are a beautiful human being. Thank you for sharing you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah.